Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey church, and welcome to Saturday's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Remember that commercial? Dude, I can't ever anticipate. Wait, I do remember that commercial. That was that was so it was so killer. Yeah. It was it was stupid. That's it what made it so funny. Was that was around the same time as the frogs. Yes. Yep. But wiser. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. not a beer drinker, but it sticks. That that did stick. Do you remember phone numbers from commercials from growing up, like jingles? Uh eight six seven five three oh nine. That, eight, six, seven, that's five, not three. no that's a song one eight seven seven cars for kids that one yeah yeah, yeah that one's one uh i don't know nothing else two six seven eight four three three because the next best thing to new is dalworth clean that was what? a dallas local company that? one okay yeah i don't know yeah, that one that one just do not stuck one. in my in my brain i know cal uh, uh cal not cal newport that's the other guy uh go see cal the you probably weren't there when california was doing this but there's this guy cal cal worthington I think it's Cal Worthington. He had a man. If I could just remember that jingle, someone send us the jingle. Uh, send it to us at pj at compassntx.org. Send it. What? <laughs> okay. Well, hey, uh, we talked in yesterday's episode a little bit about why the Old Testament matters. Pastor Rod, I've got a, a question for you as we get into this episode. Bring it. Let's uh, do it. Because this is all about, and, and, and we're doing this because the importance of studying the Bible and okay. reading the Bible. Yeah, and it's, it's the Daily important. Bible Podcast. We've got daily Bible reading. Do it all the time. So we're saying, every day. if you're wondering, should I be in the Bible daily? We would say, yes. 100,000%. Right? So how would you answer the objection that's Uh-oh. out there? I don't like this one. <laughs> that some people say, oh. there's a danger to worship the Bible rather than worshiping God. That the Bible can become an idol mm. that gets in the way of our worship of God. Uh, affect, affectionately called bibliolatry. Some mm-hmm. some use it against okay. us. Now, so okay, several answers, but I'll be I'll be precise. God willing. Okay, number one, God commands us to spend time in His Word. I think that settles the debate for me. Starting on the on the front on the front of it, Psalm chapter one. We covered this. I don't know how many days ago now, but uh, on His law, He meditates day and night. So there is a blessing and a benefit to spending copious amounts of time with the Bible at minimum daily. Because you need a day to cover day and night. So you should spend time with the Bible. Number one, God commands it. Number two, we are made wise and effective by it. 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God is what makes us complete, equipped for every good work so that we can best serve God and man. And if our job in this world is to love God and love others, to share Christ in the gospel so that we might glorify him, how can we do that without having the weapon of the word? Which leads me to the third one. Number three, finally, the word of God is not only going to help me to be a competent and effective worker, it's going to be my best spiritual tool against the, the weapons of the enemy. The spirit of the, the, uh, the sword of the spirit, Ephesians 6, is the word of God. And that's the only weapon that the Christian has that is both offense and defense. So for those three reasons, I think we can effectively and safely say, be in the Bible all day, every day, because it's going to be for your good. It's going to be for the good of others. And it's your best defense against the schemes of the enemy. Awesome. I would only add to that as well. It's only through the Bible that we learn about the God of the Bible, right? If we're going to yeah. say, well, we're guilty of worshiping the Bible over God. I mean, the, the, the Bible's terminus is God. Mm. Um, and so that that's that's what we need. We need it. There's an article along those lines I would commend to you from EPM, Amazon Mary. So EPM.org. Perspective Ministries. You got it. 
And the, the uh, title of the article is called, Is There a Danger of Worshiping the Bible Instead of God? And there's a great quote in there from J.I. Packer as well. So I'd commend it to you. Is there a danger of worshiping the Bible instead of God? EPM.org, Eternal Perspective Ministries. Can we just put that in our show notes? Give them the link? Sure. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes for this episode so that you can click on that and go uh, spend some time reading that this morning or whenever it is that you're listening. Well, we are in Psalm 36 and Psalm 37. Psalm 36 and Psalm 37. Mm. Psalm 36 is uh, really a contrast in the first four verses speaking to the wicked and then verses five through nine speaking to God and then verses 10 through 12, David kind of responding after that to uh, to this contrast that he sets up. But the the contrast between the of, of between the wicked and God begins by focusing on the wicked, and he really dis- describes someone that uh, is is planning to sin, so to speak. I mean, he is treasuring up wickedness and sinfulness in his heart. He's he's looking for and already thinking about his next opportunity to, to indulge his lusts or indulge his sinfulness. Um, not only that, he's, he's boastful, he's arrogant, he's prideful, he flatters himself, it says there with his own eyes, his iniquity it can't be found out, he thinks. He says, he thinks this is all done in secret, nobody knows about this but me. He plots, there it is, he plots trouble while on his bed and he sets himself in a way that is not good. This is just somebody who, I, the, the idea of the, the coffee cup, if you bump a coffee cup, what, what comes out? out yeah. this, is, this is somebody saturated with evil. I mean, what, what bumps, when you bump this person, it's going to be wickedness that comes out. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a tragic description and, uh, and, and yet it's us BC, it's all of us, right? Exactly. Without God, without the, the mercy of God, but for the grace of God, go we, right? This is the natural inclination of men. This is why the psalmist said, and Paul picked up on it as well. There's no one who does good. Not a, not a single person who does good. Mm -hmm. This is who we are. Um, and it's an, it's not a fun picture, but we contrast that in verse five and following with God. God, in contrast, is one whose steadfast love extends to the heavens and the faithfulness to the clouds. Steadfast love, Pastor Rod, unpack that phrase for us because we see it a lot in the Psalms, a lot in the Old Testament. Chesed, that's the word. You're going to see that word all over the place, and you'll see it translated in different ways, but steadfast uh, can be referred to as faithfulness or faithful love or covenant love, covenant-keeping love. It's this concept that means it's God's commitment to them. It is, in some ways, regardless of what the what the recipient does. God makes one-sided covenants where he says, I'm going to choose to make you my people, and I'm going to love you. Now, granted, that doesn't mean that God always does what's pleasurable to us. God often does things that are difficult and painful in order to set us on the right path. But the steadfastness of God is to communicate his unrelenting, unmitigated, continuous, steadfast, never stopping love. There's a song that was popular not too long ago, and it talked about his uh, his reckless love. And I know this is your favorite worship song to, to worship least, privately. You missed the word least. Oh yeah, least favorite worship song. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, yeah, God's reckless love. And I think I understand the sentiment of the song. I understand what they're trying to communicate. God's love is in some ways scandalous. I get that. Uh, but to call God's love reckless is is really the antithesis of the word steadfast. Chesed refers to God's considered, faithful, measured, sacrificial love toward mankind, in particular to the people of Israel in this dispensation, but ultimately to the church. And, and what a great thing that is, that God still continues to love us regardless of our sin, and he promises to carry us from the very beginning to the very end, which is why one of my current favorite worship songs is He Will Hold Me Fast. Mm. 
Yep. And speaking of songs, there was a song, I thought maybe this was where you're going, popularized by Third Day back in the day, Mac yes, Powell. Yes, I, I mean, how could you read this and not hear it? Right, like right. the modern mountain. And talk about a unique voice. Like you hear anything by that guy, you're like, oh, it's Mac, Mac that, Powell singing. Yeah, Third Day. Yep. Your righteousness, verse six, in contrast to the wicked who has no righteousness in him whatsoever, the righteousness of God is like the mountains of yeah. God. <laughs> 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 and in that righteousness, he's, his judgments are good and man and beast you save, O oh Lord. Can we pause this so I can go listen to this? Now you have it in my head and my ear. I can't get it's it out. It's an earworm. How precious. He's just so thankful is, is David here in this psalm um, as he's considering God's, his loyalty to him. It, it, the, the wicked are all around him. These people that are plotting trouble, the implication I think here is these are the people that are after David. Right. And he's saying, by contrast, God, you are my refuge. And in your steadfast love, your faithful love, your covenant love to me, it's, it's, it's precious to me as a result of that. And I can take refuge in you. You are the fountain of life. And you do we see light in contrast to the dark. Darkness. And so then he wraps up this psalm with this prayer, this petition that then that God would continue that steadfast love. What does um, he mean in verse nine? In your light, do we see light? I, I stumbled over that a little bit. I had to, I had to dig through just to make sure I understood what he meant. I'll take a stab at it though. I didn't, it didn't give me pause. So I didn't give too much consideration to it. I, okay. I, I think it's only in the, the, the kindness of God that we know light at all that, uh, anything the world would put out as light, as good, as we've talked about previously on the podcast, as far as, you know, the, the world that does good works is, is really not light in God's economy, but it's still darkness. It's just darkness that the world is fraudulently pointing to it and saying, this is light, even though it's not true light. So it's funny that you say that because that, that's exactly where I went with it as I was kind of tweaking it in my mind, kind of roll it over. But so I read several different, uh, I, just, I have study Bibles in front of me. So I, one of them I read, uh, faithful MacArthur study Bible here says that God is a source of physical life and also of spiritual life. So the phraseology is a poetic way to talk about life. Uh, so in your life, do we see or enjoy life, which is not something I, I initially thought. Hmm. Um, it's not something that, again, I, I kind of went the direction you did. So a couple of quick notes for you guys, as you read through your Bible, man, get a good study Bible, get totally. four of them, get five of them if you could, uh, which is why we're, we're big fans of Logos Bible software or even Accordance if you're, if you're into, into that as well. Uh, but have study Bibles because it'll correct some of your understandings that you might impose upon the text at first read. It's helpful to have guys, uh, scholars in your corner who can help you understand the word and to apply it to your life. So please, if you don't have a good study Bible, hit us up. We'll recommend a few. In fact, let's do that right now. A couple study, MacArthur study Bible. One of our favorites, ESV study Bible, one of the old, it's massive. If you carry that thing around, no doubt you're going to grow some muscles in your arms. <laughs> Um, faith life study Bible, faith, Li faith life study Bible is free. You can download it on your iPhone or I think your Android right now. And it's one of my absolute favorites because it gives you cross references to different resources that will help you expand on whatever you're, I love that one. That one's one right. of my favorites too. Any other, Oh, Bible knowledge commentary. We talked yep. about this in a couple of days ago. It's not technically a study Bible. It's a whole Bible commentary. It's massive. It's two volumes, but definitely worth having in your library. If you don't have it already, anything else, the new NIV study Bible. So good. Relatively Edited new. by DA Carson. Yep. Excellent. You're yep. going to want that too, for sure. Yeah. Cause it helps when you come across a, a verse like that and you say, well, what does that actually mean? Yeah. What yeah. does DA Carson say? Yeah. Super helpful. And, and, uh, yeah, we should so tempted to keep going on, on Logos tips here and maybe we'll do a separate podcast just on, on Logos. Let tips. us know if you think that would be helpful. Yeah. Seriously. Send us an email. Let us know. That'd be great. Well, Psalm 37 then, um, 
we get into this this shift in style and it, it one commentator called it a wisdom psalm and it, it really did when i was reading through it i was like man this feels like proverbs to yeah, me i agree and it, it reads that way and it's it's a a call here to trust and commitment and delighting and uh, but I, I wonder if you caught in verse 11 if you caught something that that should sound pretty familiar if you've read the book of matthew and if you're familiar with specifically the beatitudes mm. Because verse 11 is basically a direct, is, is the, the, the source for what Jesus says there in Matthew 5.11. Wow. In Matthew 5.11, it says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Here, David prays, but the meek shall inherit the land and to let themselves in peace. So that led one commentator to say that, that basically Psalm 37 is an exposition of Matthew 5.5. 5 which is kind of cool to, to think about. It's retroactively, David's kind of expounding upon what does it look like to be meek in God's economy. Interesting. And so that's why there's so much of these calls to, to trusting and calls to humility and saying in verse 23, the steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Um, turning away from evil, doing good. There, there's so much here. If you've ever wondered, what does it look like to be meek? Psalm 37 gives us a great picture of that. One of the things that I found interesting about this psalm is that it it's not speaking to the Lord. The psalm is is a song is really a song to one another, saying, "Hey, let's do it this way. Let's live in this particular way." And some sometimes people I think can be zealous. They have the they have a heart to to do right. They have a heart to have a pure church. And, and maybe they might be upset that some of the songs that we choose to sing in our church aren't necessarily specifically saying, "Hey, praise the Lord Jesus Christ, exalt Him." Instead, they might be like a I don't know. Yes, I will sing for joy in the deepest vow. That kind of thing. The, the more resolute songs, the songs that aren't specifically directed to God. Well, here you go in Psalm 37. You have a psalm that's not specifically directed to God. It's directed to one another, saying this is the way that we honor and please the Lord. There's precedence for it. It's good for us. It's instructive. It's helpful. And man, there's room in our psalter, our personal psalter, and even our corporate psalter for stuff like this. Hmm, good point. Yeah, I didn't actually notice that as I was reading through that. But the, yeah, that's a great point. Super helpful. So you're maybe calling us not to make something law that isn't necessarily law. Maybe. I maybe. Wonder. Yikes. We won't tell some people out there in the Twitterverse. <laughs> well, hey, back in our New Testament, we are um, coming to the end of, well, we're done with, with chapter 22, but at the end of chapter 22, and, and failed to mention this yesterday, uh, Paul is brought now after they, they figured out that he was a Roman citizen, a six-pack Roman citizen. Is that what you called him? <laughs> That's Flexing on the other guy, yeah. He, uh, they decide. Well, let's let's get to the bottom of this with the Jewish council, with the Sanhedrin. So he's brought before the chief priests in the council, uh, and they they take Paul and they bring Paul back before them again. Paul's a known commodity. They know who he is. He knows them. Um, and he gives this defense before them. Um, but what's interesting is, is right off the bat here, it, because he says, look, I've, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. So he's simply defending himself, saying what I've done, I've done in the integrity of my heart. He's, right. he's saying, I'm not, I have nothing to apologize for. The high priest commands somebody to strike him, and, uh, and Paul's response here is what, what's so puzzling, because remember, Paul knew these guys. Mm. And Paul says, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? Yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. So Paul's going, Paul knew the law and he knew that what this high priest commanded to be done was wrong right. according to the law. So he calls him out and confronts him. This was out of decorum though, because this was something that was wrong to do to the high priest to speak ill of the high priest, especially in that context. And so he's 
Paul's called out on that. And somebody said, would you revile God's high priest? And here's Paul's response. And this is what the head scratcher is. He said, I did not know that he was the high priest for it's written. You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Hmm. Pastor Rod, how in the world could he not know that this is the high priest, given everything that we've just talked about, about his familiarity with them? I know that there are at least three answers to this. And the first one has to do with his eyesight. Maybe he doesn't he can't see him. You know, it doesn't, he's not able to actually physically see him. Which could have been the thorn in his flesh that Which some people say. The thorn in the right? flesh, right. Um, that doesn't seem to be, that doesn't hold a lot of water. Verse one of the, chapter 23 says I he agree. was looking intently at the council. Uh, secondly, it's possible that he, the uh, high priest wasn't wearing his garb. And so there was, there was a sense in which Paul couldn't see that he was wearing the, uh, he was wearing the, he the just threw sweats on. He was like, all right, let's get, <laughs> well, and, I gotta go to the point. Yeah. He, they were all called together quickly. And so maybe he's not wearing his garb. He didn't realize that. Um, the other, the other option is that maybe Paul actually doesn't know who it is because there's so much turnover in the high priesthood at this period of time. And Paul hadn't been in Jerusalem for some period of time. So it could have very well been that this guy, Ananias was someone who was recently in there and, and actually history shows that he was one of the longest standing high priest during this time. But Paul may not have known him because he wasn't in Jerusalem. He had spent time elsewhere, preaching the gospel, spending time uh, with the, with the uh, Gentiles. So uh, those are some of the options. I tend to lean with the fact that he's not there. Therefore, he may not actually know who he is. I th- there's a fourth one that I found out there that I don't know if he came across as well, but that, that maybe Paul was using some irony here, some, some oh, yes, sarcasm that. Yes. as like a, as, as an instrument of, of rhetoric here. Right. Saying, Cause and the implication is there is dude, you're not acting like a high priest. And so, right. Sorry. I, I missed that you were him because <laughs> you're sure not acting. Yeah. Like you're sure not acting. I like don't one. know. He's, he's, he's apologetic. You know, hey, I'm sorry, brothers. He calls them brothers. It seems to be. It seems to undermine that sense of sarcasm. It seems like Paul's genuine in his apology. Yeah, but then it, it, Paul's shrewdness comes out right after this because he he looks around and he evaluates the situation. And and in this council, there would have been both Pharisees and Sadducees gathered together. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so knowing his audience, yeah, he knows the difference there. And one of the main theological differences. If, if you're not as, as familiar with it is the Sadducees did not believe in a bodily resurrection and the Pharisees did. And so Paul recognizes, man, things are not going to go well here. Remember what Paul's goal is still. Paul's goal still is I want to get to Rome. I yep. want to get to Rome. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. I'm not here to die in Jerusalem. He's not afraid of death. He's not afraid of, of dying for his faith. He's already said as much, but he's convicted about, I need to get to Rome. He wants to get there. So he's looking around going, okay, if I let this continue to go, I know where this is going to end. I'm going to end up stoned and I'm going to end up dead here. And so he throws out this comment and he says, look, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee, and I'm, I'm simply here. And he's not lying with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. <laughs> it's true. It's a, it's a, it's maybe, a shrewd way to approach it. Yeah. It's a, a different I don't want to say a partial truth because that makes, makes it sound like he's lying. He, he, he could have said, I'm here because Jesus Christ is the Messiah and I'm bearing witness to the fact that he rose from the dead. Instead, he just says, I'm, I'm here because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead, which is true. And that causes the Pharisees to go, okay, we agree with that. And the Sadducees get angry and they're like, we don't agree with the resurrection from the dead. And so those two parties are now arguing with each other with the Pharisees siding with Paul all of a sudden in the midst of this. Is it, Possible then that, and this is a sticky situation, but I'm going to put it out here as something to consider. Is it possible then that to give a half truth is not always necessarily a whole lie, as has often been said? Is a partial truth not necessarily a whole lie? Can there ever be a sense in which a partial truth is actually something that's a right and good thing? 
or is it a lesser of two evils argument? It's, it, it, it's yeah. someone knocking on your door. Where are the Jews? That right, kind of thing. Right, and you right, don't right. answer the, you know, anyway, that kind of idea here is Paul doing something like that. And yeah. does that therefore give us space in our theology to say, maybe there are times and probably not most of the time, but maybe there are times where I'm not as forthright as I could be. And I'm only giving up what is necessary. Yeah. It, just such an interesting question of ethics there. I, I, at, at minimum, we have to deal with the heart motivation. We have to deal with the why behind it. If you're telling a partial truth because you're worried about the consequences of a full truth or you're, right. Right. You know, you're trying to, to save yourself or whatever it may be, then I, I don't think it's right. I think it's wrong in that situation. If it's a motivation that is, and you brought up like the hiding the Jews with Corey Ten Boom and things like that. I mean, if it's a, a lesser of two evils situation, yeah, I do think there's grace there. Um, it's, it's so hard because at the end of the day, sin is sin no matter what, right? And God is perfectly holy and cannot abide by any sin whatsoever. None. God's holiness cannot tolerate the existence of a single sin, no matter the motive behind it. And that's why I say I think there's grace for it at times, depending on our, our motive in what we're doing. So would you think that Paul is, so you kind of danced around it because you didn't want to say Paul's sinning here, but is Paul being partially truthful? I mean, he's not saying all that he could say. He's being very deliberate. And you see that at the beginning of verse six, Paul perceived that there's half Sadducees, half Pharisees. And so he's being deliberate about his approach, but this isn't a half truth situation. This is just him saying, I'm going to, I'm going to say what needs to be said without right. telling them everything. Right. No, I don't think Paul's in sin here. Yeah. And and so I do think there's that line. It's just hard to figure out where that line is. Oh yeah. That's the, that's the question, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Where's the line? Yeah. Yeah. Default is stay away from the line as far as possible. Be truthful. As much as you be you're honest. Able. Yep. Yeah. And then dabble around these little gray areas with great caution and great grace. Yeah. Pursue what we've been talking about with Job and the Psalms, how many times that both of them appealed to their integrity, right? I mean, that's our goal. Our goal is to be able to, to say, God, search me and try me because I, I can't find anything in my, my life that's, that's out of step with your law. And, uh, and I'm not intentionally sinning in any particular area of my life, which brings up a good point. And, and just one quick thing. Hey, if you don't know your Bible, you're gonna have a really hard time really knowing the heart of God and the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. You, you need it's kind of like putting all the fuel in your car to make the car of your life go. You need the fuel inside to really get a sense of what God wants you to do with your life. I think there's a sense in which you can know your Bible so well and have it mastered such that it masters you. You begin to talk like the Bible. You begin to think like the Bible. And you may not be able to point to chapter and verse, but you have so much of the Bible in you that you begin to make biblical decisions without having to try that much harder because you know the word of God. Let that be you. Master your word. Yeah, good word there for sure. It's it's a crazy scene. There's a, a fight to the point that the Pharisees are saying, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? Maybe he's right about what he's saying. <laughs> and then the dissension becomes violent and the, the tribune, uh, afraid that Paul is going to be torn to pieces, commands the soldiers to go get him and take him away. But what, here's a, an interesting point that ends our passage uh, for today, at least in verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, now, who is this? I think, again, we go back to that concept of the angel of the Lord. I think if this is a physical manifestation of God, it's going to be Jesus. Right. And so Jesus is there with Paul and says, take courage as for, for as you have testified to the facts about me. And again, there's evidence that this is Jesus about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. So now Paul knows from God, he's going to Rome. Not going to die here. Right. Right. Well, again, that was a, a beefy episode. Two in a row. 
23 but, minutes. Uh, we are uh, hopeful that, it, that it's beneficial to you. And again, if, if it would help you guys to get some resources from us as far as Logos tips and things, maybe we'll slip in a separate episode that is a bonus episode one of these days and do some things about, and we talked about even our, our DVR setup, like how do we set up our own time in the word each oh, day? Right, maybe we yeah. roll that into one episode that we do that's a, a one-off. Um, but yeah, let us know. And uh, in the meantime, uh, keep reading your Bibles and check in tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Bye, y'all. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.